Good to be at the river on this Wednesday night. Brother Payne called me about a week and a half ago, two weeks, and asked me to share a word. And he didn't say that I was preaching or teaching. He just asked me to share a few minutes. And then Brother Nutter called me and texted me, and he said, Brother, I just give you liberty. I want you to do whatever you feel doing, uh, you feel led to do. And uh, that felt good because my wife and I have been discussing a lot of things these last couple of weeks and as we talk about things with the kids and life and everything going on in our world I always think about the church and how it relates to us and maybe tonight for a few minutes uh, I can share my heart with you if that's all right but amen and before I get started I, I do want to tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, first, uh, I guess, if you don't know me, my name's Daniel Benoit. Uh, my wife and I have one, two, four, six, fifteen kids, and they're running around here on a regular basis. But no, we have six kids. Uh, our oldest, Kayla, our youngest, Michael, and I'm sure the majority of you guys know them, but uh, I'm married to a wonderful wife of 19 years, Jennifer Benoit, uh, the greatest woman I know. And I'd like to give honor to Brother Payne. I give honor to this church because uh, we were in 2020 in a, a, a very difficult transition. And um, we were in the middle of moving to the North Shore. We lived in Metairie. And uh, for some time, we were in prayer. A lot of tears, a lot of crying, uh, a lot of listening to our kids and, and trying to feel them out and telling them, just trust mom and dad, uh, we're going to be all right. And uh, through that transition and during that time and lifting up that prayer and that need, uh, I really felt I had to hear from God and I didn't want to just go anywhere. And we were visiting We'd go to a church, and I'd ask God, is this the church? And uh, I thought it was important to, uh, for my kids to have a youth. I thought it was important to, uh, first and for foremost, have the truth preached to us, the unadulterated truth. And uh, all this is in the back of our minds anytime we would visit. And uh, then we came here on a Wednesday night, and you guys are about a 40, 45-minute drive for us. And... Uh, I remember the first Wednesday night we'd come, we had some friends that had uh, been attending here, and uh, I remember hearing Brother Brian Hume tell me, he said, man, every service I've gone to, he said, it's hard for me not to leave without tears in my eyes or just feeling a move of God, and uh, that was before we'd even come. I just, I remember him telling me that, he said, uh, this Brother Payne, you've got to hear him preach, and uh, just feel his passion in his heart. And uh, so we decided to come visit. And the, the series that 
the river was in was uh, putting on the whole armor of God. And it just hooked me because uh, I'd heard and read the armor of God many times, but the way Brother Payne began to dig it out and, and share its importance and uh, how we've got to apply it daily and uh, just sharing his daily ritual, you know, what he does on a daily basis, his routine, if you will, on praying, that really ministered to me. And uh, I told my wife we weren't going to make a decision, but I said, I do want to finish this series out. I want to hear it. And it was, it was a six-week series, so it was a, it was a Wednesday night commitment that we'd made. And uh, by the end of that series, I remember uh, asking the Paines if we could have lunch with them, and uh, the rest is history. But I do want to thank the river because this has been, it's truly been a bloodline. It's been a lifeline for me and my family. And I can't tell you how many services we've come to, and I know you may not see me running laps and, and, and doing, doing all that, but I want you to know there's not a service that goes by that the Spirit of God isn't ministering to me. And I, I've been fed so much. I feel fat sitting on that, that pew there on Sundays and Wednesdays, but the Lord has been good to me. He's been good to my house. He's been good to my family. And uh, I don't stand up here tonight uh, with, with any credentials, if you will. I don't have any merit. I'm not, I'm not even qualified, if I can just be transparent with you, to be up here. Uh, I don't deserve to be up here. Uh, it's only by God's grace. And that's the God's honest truth. You know, Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 and 15, he says, this is a worthy saying. He says, if you're going to accept anything, accept this. From east to west, from north to south, he said, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And of those sinners, he said, I'm chief. And I know I'm no Paul, but I do feel that I'm chief among sinners. I do feel that that. I can feel that role in, in many parts of my life. So I'm so grateful that Christ came to save sinners. And I'm so thankful that He doesn't give us what we deserve. I'm thankful for His grace. Because if I got what I deserve, I wouldn't be up here. I'd probably be listening to this message across the street behind the pine tree somewhere. That's what I deserve. But I'm so grateful for the mercy and for the grace of God. So... If you have your Bibles, I want you to stand just for a minute. I don't know how long this is going to be. I may be five minutes, ten minutes. Uh, as Brother Payne says, many Sundays, 30 minutes in, I've only got 38 more minutes. But I don't think I'm going to be very long. But if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And just a side note, Brother Nutter, he, he, he texted me when I'm getting off the Tickfall exit, and he says, hey, brother, send your title and your, your, your scripture. And I look at my wife, and I said, the title and the scripture. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was just going to say, thank you all for letting us be a part of the family, the river. And uh, I said, okay, it's all good. I have a scripture, and I have a title. Amen. So 2 Corinthians Chapter 2, we're going to read verses 10 and 11. Paul writing says, To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive, forgave anything to whom I forgave it, 
For your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. What a powerful saying. The reason I wanted to open with verse 10 is because this is the the spirit of this church. I've observed for a year now, and I've heard testimonies. I've heard of drug addicts that have come in, fallen on their face, been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, life changed forever. Thank God for men like Brother Stewart and that ministry and how they're working together uh, and being a part of what is going on here at the river. But I've observed and I've seen that this church has a heart for people to come. And the arms are wide open. And the spirit of this church says, if you forgive it, I forgive it. If you believe Jesus will save you, we believe He'll save you. If you'll take that step, we'll take that step. If you're asking us if we're willing, we're willing. So that's, the, that, that's what I've observed being here. And I felt it was such an appropriate verse for the spirit of this church. But Paul goes on in verse 11 and he says, lest Satan should get the advantage. For we're not ignorant concerning his devices. So tonight I just want to talk for a few minutes about exposing the lie. Exposing the lie. Why don't we pray together, if you will. Lord, right now, in Jesus' name, we come to you. We ask God that you would minister to our hearts. I pray, God, that you would turn the soil of our hearts. Help us to be receptive to the Word of God tonight. Let the Word of God have its intended purpose, God. Let your Word go forth. Let it be received in our hearts. We love you tonight, Jesus. We can do nothing without you. We are nothing without you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Exposing the lie of Satan. It was, I guess, maybe two, three weeks ago. My wife and I were in the living room. It was after a morning devotion. And uh, I was sharing with her just the, the spirit of the age, the spirit of the hour we live in. And she, she just began to open up and tear-filled eyes minister to me. And as she was talking and ministering to me, I had to get my journal out. And I just began to write down. And I, and I would say, babe, hold on, say that again. And uh, she would tell me, uh, what's going on in, in our world today and, and what we're up against with our children and what dads are up against in leading their families and being the priest of their homes and what moms are up against and, and being that mother figure in the world today because we're living in a day where that's frowned on. It's looked down on. We're living in a day where uh, it used to be just colleges that their philosophies and their teachings were leading our children astray, but now it's going on in the elementary schools. And these were things that, that cause us uh, great concern, if you will, as a Christian-believing family. And as she's ministering to me and sharing these things with me, uh, it really had me thinking about what we're up against as a church. Because the fight is real. This thing isn't, this isn't just, just something we're talking about. There's a real spiritual warfare going on, and the enemy is really wanting your children. Moms, the enemy really wants your little babies. Wives, the enemy really wants your husband. Husbands, the enemy wants your wife. And he's not going to be content, he's not going to be satisfied just with one of you. He wants the whole family to be shipwrecked. So what are we up against? As my wife was sharing some of this with me in the sense of, of 
her heart and what she sees in our world, I got to thinking that we need the voice of God. We need a, a fresh revelation. We need a fresh wind. We need a fresh fire. We need God to breathe on us so that we have understanding of how we're to fight the enemy. Thank God for that putting on the whole armor of God, Brother Payne. But I want to know how I'm to fight the enemy. Because we know the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. But they are mighty through God. And sometimes when you're raising kids and sometimes when you're just in the, the mix of the daily grind, you forget. It's so easy to forget in this day and age that, that we're in a real fight. That the enemy's out for keeps. That he wants you to buy into the lie that we want to expose tonight. But it's easy to lose our way. It's easy for us to get off course sometimes. It's easy to drift, if you will. So, how do we fight this battle that's never ending, it seems, sometimes? I believe that if we can get in that vein of God, I want to know your voice. I really want to be sensitive to how. What is it that's going on? You know, when I think of hearing God's voice, I think of 2 Kings 6 where Elijah's servant is fearful. He's wondering, what are we going to do? Because the enemy's encamped all around us. And, and prior to the enemy going to Dothan to find uh, Elisha, we know that the king of Syria is wanting to destroy Israel. And as he's launching his attack, the prophet, the man of God says, hey, don't go there. The enemy's lying in wait for you. So the king of Israel takes the counsel of the prophet and he doesn't go into that valley. And when the king of Syria catches wind of what's going on, he's asking his old men, he says, hey, what's going on here? Who in our camps against me? And one of the men stands up and says, hey, Oh, king, it, it isn't that anybody's against you here. But he says, there's a prophet. There's a man of God that whatever you say in your bedchamber, God has already revealed it to him. There's nothing that you can hide from this man. He hears it and he's sharing it with the king. So the king says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go capture this prophet and we're going to Slay him, kill him, do what we will with him, but we've got to silence him because we want Israel. And again, learning the voice of God. Look at what God does here through the prophet. The servant gets up early in the morning and when he goes out, he looks and the Bible says that encamped around them is just a fortress of the enemy. Horses everywhere, chariots, and he goes and he runs and he tells his master, Alas, master, what shall we do? What do we do now? And Elisha looks at him, and I love his words. He says, fear not. Who's that sound like? Doesn't that sound a lot like Jesus always telling the disciples, fear not? Elisha looks at his servant and he says, fear not. Because they that are with us, are far more than they that are against us. So he prays and he says, God, open his eyes. Help him to see. 
Church, would to God that he would open our eyes right now because the enemy's trying to make you and I believe this fabricated lie. This lie that says you better tolerate what we're giving. This lie that says you better endorse what we're doing. This lie that says you better condone it or we're going to come after you and your family. But if we could get that spirit of Elisha within us that says, God, open the eyes of my brother, open the eyes of my sister so that they can see that there's a chariot around those chariots and our chariots have fire behind them and our chariots come with power and our chariots are stronger and our chariots are more. If God would but open our eyes, the enemy's greatest tool is what? Fear. Fear. He wants to isolate me And he wants to isolate you. He wants you to get in that corner all by your lonesome. And he wants you to believe that you're by yourself. He wants you to believe there is no hope. What's the use? He wants you to have the mindset of the servant. Alas, master, what shall we do? When all the while God is saying, fine tune your senses. Fine tune your senses, church. There's so much that I want to do, but will I find faith? Will he find faith when he returns? We're living in an hour where the enemy's trying to steal and rob and kill and destroy. And he's wanting to take that from us. So we've got to expose the lie. And the only way we can expose the lie is by shedding light, which only comes from Christ. And that light is truth. Jesus said he was the truth, right? So I want to learn to live in that truth. But I've lived a little while and I've lived long enough to realize that the truth can be painful. It really can. When we come to church and 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 brother Stewart, as you were speaking of the strongholds, your, your message to this day still resonates in my mind because of some of the things you mentioned about the strongholds and how maybe perhaps after being in church for five years or a year or 15 or 30 doesn't matter. But we tend to get complacent sometimes. And we tend to question some things maybe before we didn't question. But that message still plays in my mind because of the strongholds. And I think that if we're going to know how to fight the enemy and if we're going to be sensitive to the voice of God, we also have to be aware. Going back to putting the armor on, but we have to be aware because Paul says in Romans 13 and 11, he says, and that knowing the time that now, Not yesterday, not last week. He says, church, knowing the time, now is the time for us to awake out of sleep. Because our salvation, it's nearer than when we believed. You see, church, we're closer to finishing this thing than the enemy wants us to recognize, than he wants us to be aware of. The angel has one foot on the seashore and one foot on the land and the seventh trumpet's in the hand and he's waiting for the father to say, blow. We're that close. And we question sometimes and we're like, why does it feel like I'm just being wore out? Why does it feel like it's such a struggle today to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints of old? Why? You know, the Apostle John shed some light on that for us. The Apostle John says, hey, you know, there was a time where Satan had free access into the heavens. We know that because there was a day, according to the book of Job, that the sons of man come before God, but Satan also appears, right? 
and Satan is questioning and, and he's saying that there's this hedge around Job and, and surely he would curse you to your face if, if you would just take the hedge down. But Satan has had access into the heavens even after he was cast out. But according to Revelations 12, something's going to happen. And when this happens, he's no longer going to have access into the heavens. But he's going to be bound to the earth. He's going to be confined here. And when he's confined here, he's going to have a lot of anger. Because the Bible says that there was a war that took place in heaven and Michael, the archangel, and his angels fought and warred against Satan and his angels and Satan was defeated. And it says he was cast to the earth and he came down to the earth having great wrath, knowing that he hath but a short time. So church, I'm not saying that that war took place and I'm not, I'm not proclaiming to be this this. Master at understanding prophecy. But what I am saying is that we do know that there's but a short time. And Satan knows this. There's an appointed time and the spirit realm knows about this time, which is why we're feeling the conflict. That's why we're feeling so short and on edge sometimes, because in the spirit, they know what's going on. And that's why the, the demons even told Jesus when he appears on the scene and he goes to heal the demoniac. And they said, have you come to torment us before the time? They know there's an appointed time. It's the when, the hour, the set time they don't know, but they know it's getting close. And the closer we get, guess what? The heart of the fight. So you and I have to come together more now than we've ever. Because the hour's short, church. It's time to awake. Satan's not out just for me, but he wants my family. He wants your family, brother. He wants your family, sister. When your kids get up in the morning, cover them. Moms, cover your babies with prayer. Thank you, honey, for pushing me. She constantly told me, I remember when we moved to the North Shore, she said, we need to anoint the doors. We need to put oil over the doorposts. We need to anoint our baby's beds. And, and we did that. But thank you, Mama, for telling me and reminding me, hey, you're the priest of this home. Make sure you anoint those baby's beds because God and that unseen hands protecting them when we're not with him. When they're in Alexandria and they're, they're driving home, the angel of God is with them. When they leave, it's the angel of God that's with them. How many of you can say, I thank God for his unseen hand? Sometimes we thank him for the things we know about, but how many times has he preserved you? How many times has he kept you when you were unaware of it? You didn't know it was God. You were sleeping and the death angel came even in your sleep and God said, no, not that one. No, not now. You don't have that power. You don't have that authority. Would to God we would get a hold of that and just become a thankful people because again, we're living in an hour where men are no longer thankful. Never before have I seen so many young people, adults with this enablement mentality. This mindset that once you give it, I don't even have to say thank you because you owe it to me. You know, Paul told Timothy, you've got to be aware of this too. Again, just signs of the time, church. The hour we're living in. He said it would be a very unthankful generation. Not only would men's minds be seared, the conscience, 
But he said, you're going to see a generation of unthankful people. Doesn't matter what you do for them. They feel like you owe it to them. With all these things going on, with Satan throwing all these darts at the church, it's so important that we don't waver. That we're not tossed to and fro. But that we learn, God, I just want to have a sensitive ear. I want to make sure I'm fine-tuned to what you're doing. Because God's wanting to do something in this hour. And guess what, church? One of the beautiful things about the river is we're witnessing it. We're witnessing it. I believe that I'm looking at some men and women who have the spirit of David upon them. Not only are you like Elisha and say, don't fear. Don't fear, brother. Don't fear, sister. Don't fear man and woman that's lost. Don't fear, but I believe the spirit of David rests in this church too. And you know what spirit I'm talking about? I'm not talking about old David. I'm talking about young David, pre-king David. The David who went out to the battlefield and his older brother Eliab says, hey, why are you out here? And David said, I caught wind. I heard of an uncircumcised Philistine that was throwing lies out there saying that he could just defy our God without a consequence. That's what the enemy's doing right now. He's wondering, is there anybody that's going to stand up? Are there any ruddy boys, any ruddy girls out there that are willing to stand up and say, I might be ruddy, I might be young, but bless God, there's a cause. There's a cause. And the cause is nobody just goes around making fun of our God. We're living in an hour where they use His name in vain. But when we speak the name, the demons still tremble. When we speak the name, it can still shake things up. So if a man or a woman would get up and say, there's a cause, and the cause is I'm going to take a stand. I'm not giving in. I'm not going to wave the white flag of surrender to the enemy. I'm not going to bow my knee down to the enemy. I'm not going to fold in the face of it adversity. I'm not going to flinch. I'm going to stand because God is doing something in this hour. And there's going to be a great revival in this hour. And here at the river, we're witnessing it. Here at the river, we're watching it unfold because every Sunday we're seeing them go down in the name of Jesus. And every time they go down in the name of Jesus, it's one more victory. We've got to be reminded, church, the word of God declares that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner goes down in that name. When one sinner repents and says, God, I acknowledge, I realize I'm lost. I realize I can't make it without you. All of heaven rejoices. So church, don't grow weary in well-doing. Let's keep pushing. Let's keep pressing because he's coming back. He's coming back. Be reminded, he's coming back. Tell yourself when you get up in the morning, he's coming back. Can I remind you of this? Can I encourage you with this? This isn't a discouragement, but you do know your rapture can be tonight. Some of us get caught up with this pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. When's he coming back? Don't know. I want to be ready always. I want to be ready always. And you know the beautiful thing about it, church, is the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. My question to you is this. Did you choose to be chosen? Did you choose to be chosen? Because when you sign on that dotted line and say, I want to be a follower of Christ, when you choose and make up in your mind that I'm going to stick my hand to the plow, no matter what the cost, I'm not turning back. I'm not looking back. When you choose to do this, you've got to understand it's going to come with a price. 
You've got to understand that being a Christian is not for the faint nor the weary. Being a man or a woman of God, especially in this hour, it's not for the faint. You've got to understand going into it, there's going to be some trials. Not only am I going to have to climb the mountain, but those rocks are going to be sharp. Those edges are going to cut me. I know that even though sometimes I'm up here, the valley's coming. And I understand, God, that sometimes I'm going to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But bless God, I'm going to learn to quote Scripture when I'm going through it. I'm going to learn to trust in the Lord with all my might. Not part of my mind, but all my heart. Because I believe that Jesus Christ really will give His people a peace that surpasses understanding. This is a promise that you and I have. This is the promise for the people, for the church of the living God. Exposing the enemy. He doesn't want you to know this. He wants you to believe there's a nine foot giant standing outside your door. But what he's not telling you is that you've got the tools. You've got the tools. You've got the power to speak life. You've got the power to speak death. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. God has equipped us. Thank God that he's given us the tools. So I want to encourage you tonight, please, man, woman of God. Step up to the plate, accept the calling. Know that just like Hebrews 10 and uh, 10 and 35 says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, confidence. We've got to be confident in this hour, he says, because we have need of patience. That after we've done the will of God, then we'll receive the promise. But notice he says, you've got to have patience, church. And patience is a very difficult thing in a microwave gen generation. It really is. It's hard to have patience in this hour. Not only just in the, the daily grind, but it's hard to have patience with your children right now. It's difficult. That's, that's, that's a truth. Remember, the truth isn't easy, but it's a truth. It's very difficult. Sometimes we tell our kids we have a thing. My wife and I will talk, and, and at the end of every conversation, it's always, okay, we got to hit the reset button. But you know, sometimes you just want to quit. That's the truth. Sometimes you want to get in the vehicle and tell them, figure it out. We'll be back. Not tonight, next week. We need a break. That's the truth. <laughs> but nobody said raising kids would be easy. When you stood before that minister and you made your vows to your spouse and you said for better or worse, you know, you, you'd probably be lying if you just said you thought of all the worse. That wasn't even in my mind as a young man. Love will keep us alive. <laughs> That's what I thought it was. You know, but the truth is that I didn't sign up for this. The truth is I wanted to run many nights. The truth is she didn't sign up for this. Because if we deal with truths and we sign the contract that I'm going to be a man of God and I'm going to be the high priest of my home, and I'm going to lead my family. 
The truth is that God has a way if you choose. Remember, many are called, few are chosen. God has a way that if you choose to be chosen, that He'll bring some things out of you that you didn't know were there. And that's painful because I want truth. And when I cried and I said, God, I want truth, and I can remember dating my wife many times, her and I holding hands, bawling, tears running down our face. I was just in my late teens. She was in her early 20s in college. And, and I can remember saying, I just want to do right. I didn't come up with the background that she had. She had a very well-to-do family, if you will, very structured. She has phenomenal parents, great mom and dad that raised her in the way of God. But that wasn't my story. My story was a little bit rough around the edges, growing up in an orphanage at the Tupelo Children's Mansion, having five siblings, four of which got adopted, one who's serving a prison sentence for 28, 30 years. That wasn't my story. I came from a background that I didn't know what it was to have structure and discipline. And when things got hot, all I knew to do was run. But I had a woman that loved God that said, no, you don't run from problems. You've got to learn to stick it out. It's going to pass. But what I'm getting at, church, is when you start this thing and you pray and you say, God, I want the truth. The Lord might take five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, some of you vets, 40. But it might take decades of God working on us. And that's why the Bible talks about us being perfected. You don't come into this thing perfect and you're not perfect now. We're a work in progress. And that's what I love about the river is when people come in broken, there's such a beautiful spirit that says you take all the time you need to heal. Church, there's a reward that's going to come for that. Hang in there. But when we sign up and the Lord starts turning the soil of our hearts and causing us to look at the man or the woman in the mirror, we have to be honest if we say I want the truth, just like the word of God says, buy it and don't sell it. If I want truth, I've got to be willing to accept when God deals with me about something and I'm wrong. I've got to be truthful and say, God, that hurts. That, that pricked my heart, kind of like the, the, the beginning when the church started, that pricking of the heart. We have to be transparent and honest with God. We can't just cover it up with fig leaves and say, God, you can have that part of my heart, but this thing that's hidden is for me. Nobody knows about it, but God has a way of exposing things in our lives, church, if we want to make it. And sometimes in marriages and with families, these things can be very difficult. But I'm talking about exposing the enemy tonight. I'm talking about exposing the lie, if you will, because Satan will have families coming to church with the facade on saying, hey, you just smile. You just shake that hand. You make them believe everything's okay. Because as long as I can get you to sugarcoat it, I've got you right where I want you. And all the while, the Spirit of the Lord is saying to every man and every woman and every boy and every girl, I want to fix you. I want to make you whole. I really want rivers of living water flowing out of you. I want you to stop looking at the man in the mirror wanting to punch his lights out, but I want you to learn to love that man. I want you to learn what it is to be confident. I want you to know what it is to smile and say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace, because I know I'm not what I need to be, but I'm definitely not what I used to be because I accept truth. 
And when God sheds truth in our lives and he begins to turn that foul ground up and we look at ourselves and we have to deal with these tough things. God will say, you've compartmentalized this in your life too long. Let's deal with it. And man, woman, husband, wife, family, sometimes that requires y'all going to the table together and exposing some things. I've dealt with it. I know what I'm talking about right now. 2020 was the toughest year of my life. The toughest. I've never experienced a year like 2020. The enemy was out to take my head off. My wife looked at me in the eyes and said, we're going to make it. I looked at her and I said, I'm going to make it only by God's grace. But I look back at that year and I'm looking at what the enemy tried to do. And on the way here, it sounds comical now, but my son said, I didn't know I was going to be ministering like this. I didn't even know I was going to be saying half of this. But my son looked at me, my five-year-old, and uh, he's five going on 25. He said, uh, Dad, you're preaching tonight? I said, well, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see. And he says, you haven't preached in a long time. I said, really? I said, well, Bob, maybe the Lord was giving Dad a break. I was referring to just time to heal. Just time, just needing time. And thank God for, for him being the perfect gentleman. Amen? How he just can cradle you when you need cradling. How he literally will carry you when you can't carry yourself. Thank God for that, church. But I looked at my son and I said, yeah, Dad, Dad, God gave Dad a little break. I needed just some time. My, my little man looked at me in the back seat. He said, Daddy, you needed a whole lot of time. <laughs> in his mind... <laughs> Dad, you haven't preached in a long time. But it was funny. But the truth is, God knows where you are. He knows where you're at right now. And he's wanting to expose the enemy. And that's why I say, church, sometimes if you're a family, if you're a husband and a wife, sometimes that takes going to the table and, and dealing with some very difficult questions. And, and I remember talking to my wife and saying, listen, where I'm at, I want to make it so bad that it doesn't matter what you want to know about my past as a child. Ask me what you will, but know this. Whatever you ask, you're getting truth. That, that, that's a difficult pill to swallow. Know you're getting truth. And then you make up your mind if you want this. Because you're just looking at a man that wants to make it. And that's why I say I'm looking at the greatest woman on the planet. Because she knows everything there is to know about me. And guess what? I remember being balled up in a circle. Experiencing a, a pain I've never experienced in my life, church. Why am I telling you this? I don't really know, but somebody needs to hear this. I remember being balled up, screaming, in a pain I've never experienced. Crying out to God, saying, God, don't leave me. God, don't leave me. That's a scary, scary place to be as a human. To feel like perhaps God doesn't hear you. Another lie of the enemy, but nonetheless, many a saints, many a sinner buy that lie. And that for the first time in my life, I can... I, I never have claimed to have heard the audible voice of God, ever. 
And I'm very slow to say I heard God tell me something. But on this day, when I was screaming, it happened three times. And on the third time, I felt my wife's hand come over and touch my body. And I've never in my life felt this kind of love. And opening this scripture tonight, again, I didn't even think of the connection there. But Paul says, whatever you forgive, I forgive. And he says, I do it in the place of Christ. Do you realize, brother and sister, that you have the ability and the power to do things in the stead of Christ as his ambassador? Well, on this day, this is what my wife did. And I felt her hand come over and touch me. And when she touched me, I felt Christ. And when she spoke to me, I heard the voice of Christ. And that voice said, you're going to make it. That voice said, we're going to make it. And I felt such strength. Now, I wasn't whole immediately, but I felt the strength. I felt the peace. I felt the hope. And that's why the Bible says that we're going to experience tribulation. But know this, that tribulation works experience. And experience works hope. And the hope is the thing that makes us not ashamed, church. So I close tonight just wanting to remind you don't cast away your confidence. Expose the enemy. Deal with the tough stuff now. Put it out there. I'm talking family, husband, wife. Speak to your children. Address these things today that nobody's talking about. I've got a, a teenager in middle school who made his first friend at the high school. Didn't they, They've never been exposed to schools of 600 and 2,000 kids, Brother Paul. But uh, he, he makes this friend and I see his heart broken when he finds out the boy he thought was his friend had some identity crisis going on. Didn't know whether he was male or female, if you will. And I'll let you read between the lines. But it broke my son. And that's the world we're living in. That's what's being accepted. Kids are wearing, boys are wearing dresses to school. He's coming home and telling me this. Dad, why are they pushing this evolution so much? These are the questions. And this is why Moses warned Israel, church. He said, when your kids get up in the morning, this is what you better be telling them. The Lord our God is one, son. Hey, baby girl, we serve Jesus Christ in him alone, and there is no salvation given under heaven. There's no other name. There's no other way. There's all this interfaithism. You're a God and you're a God and all paths lead to the light. No, there's one way. And that way is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will save us. That is the hope. But that's what we're up against. We have to remind our kids, dads, I encourage you tonight, please accept that call. Step up to the plate and say, I'm going to be the dad God's called me to be. I'm not giving you my children, Satan. You can't have them. If that means I've got to get up every day and put my hands on their head before I go to work and say, I cover you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. If that means carving out the time in this busy world and the schedules we have, Working, getting up, eating, sleeping, paying bills, grinding every day. If that means committing and saying, I'm going to carve the time to have devotion with my family. I'm going to do something new. Dads, don't leave it up to mom. 
You be the man. You say, I've had enough. And I promise you this. If you'll be that light, if you'll be that priest, your wife will follow. And your children will follow. They're crying out for it. They need it. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river.